Let me tell you about two words that changed my life. Imagine with me if you would, it's about eight years ago, and there is a much younger, less bearded, less bags under his eyes, and slimmer by 10-ish, okay, it's 15 pounds, okay? Just get it out there. And version of myself, and I'm standing next to a friend and a pastor, and I'm dressed up as best this man can get dressed up. And the camera pans to the other side of the room, and there, there's a woman in a white dress, and she is coming to meet me. I can't believe it happened either. Now, we get through the ceremony, and we get to the climactic scene, and everyone in the room is wondering, will she say the words? Will I, I know, I literally had that, that thought. Will she say the words? And there are two words that matter in that moment. Any other combination of words is soul-crushing, heartbreaking, and I'm running out crying, right? And there's a pause. It was only about a half second, but it was a pause, and it felt like an eternity to me. And then Lauren Adams said the two words that changed my life, I do. Now, here's what happened in that moment. I traded in some things. Okay. The first thing I traded in was my ability or freedom to leave my dirty clothes wherever I wanted to leave my dirty clothes. I traded that in and that trade was worth it. Okay. And I also traded in my freedom to just up and leave at 945 on a random Wednesday evening to go hang with some buddies without considering uh, other person's sleep schedules and whether or not they needed to wake up for work the next morning. Right. I traded that in, but that trade, that trade was worth it. And in that moment, (laughs) New and profound and humbling and almost impossible God-given responsibilities were placed on me to love and to cherish and to care for another human soul. But that trade, that trade was worth it. You see, I had just gotten the steal of all steals and the deal of all deals, and I ran so fast to that table to sign that marriage license. I signed it so fast it would make your head spin because to me, there was no doubt in the world that I had just gotten the best deal in the entire world and only a fool wouldn't have signed those papers. I couldn't have done it faster and I couldn't have done it with more joy. Today, we're gonna take a look at one of Jesus' parables and I wanna focus in on two words, two words that for me changed the way I began to look at life with Christ. But it's also a parable that proposes to us a great trade opportunity, a fantastic deal. And it confronts us with the truth and the question of how often are we leaving the best deal in the whole world on the table and letting it slip through our fingers. And so if you've got your Bibles today and you want to follow along, we're going to be in the book of Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to start in verse 44. And if you don't have your Bibles, don't worry about it. We're going to put it up on the screen for you. But we're going to look at one of these parables of Jesus Christ. And I think it would be beneficial to us to do two quick introductory things to set the table for today. The first of those is uh, remind us what a parable is. A parable is one of Jesus' most common teaching tools, and basically it's defined as, I like to think of them as a God-inspired metaphor for the spiritually impaired. A God-inspired metaphor for the spiritually impaired, and we are those spiritually impaired people, and we need help seeing things the way God sees them. And so Jesus is being kind to us in parables and saying, this is what this is like in a way that we can hopefully understand and internalize and apply to our lives. The second thing we need to do is we need to define the word kingdom. This parable starts off with this phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then it goes on. 
The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, that's a very complex and robust term from the New Testament. It's used all kinds of places, but for our sake, a lot of PhDs have been spent on it, but for our sake, we're going to define it as the ruling and reign of God in us and in the world. The simplest way I know how to define kingdom on the individual level, which is where we're going to focus in on really today, is what happens when a person has Jesus as king. What happens when a person has Jesus as king? And so in this parable, Jesus is going to say, this, the kingdom of heaven is like this. When I, Jesus, rule and reign in the hearts of men and women, it's like this. This is what it's like to have a king, King Jesus. And so let's listen to how he describes that today in this parable. And I want you listening for those two words. And I'll give you the clue as to what they are. They're the motive words in this passage. The motive words. Let's read together. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. And so back to those two words. Again, the motive words, they're the clue into what is driving the action that is being taken by this man. And those two words are his joy. His joy. Now don't miss those. Jesus doesn't, he could have said a lot of things there. He didn't say it was a wise, savvy business investment, although it was those things. All right. He, he didn't say it was his duty to do it or even it was the right thing to do it. He clearly says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. And when he sees the treasure and when he realizes the true worth of that treasure, there's nothing he's not willing to give up to have that treasure. And he is not, he is not sad about giving it all up to have the treasure. No, this is a trade. This is a trade made with, with joy. Because once you start to value the things in the right way like this man does, there's no sacrifice that he won't gladly do with, without any hesitation. And sacrifice is not the right word here because it's not a sacrifice for this man because he's doing this out of his joy. There's treasure in a field for crying out loud and he's got to go get some of it. And it doesn't even matter if anyone else sees the treasure. He's seen it with his own two eyes and his life has changed in such a way that he is compelled to do whatever it takes to get this treasure. It's his joy that is motivating him. It's his joy. And this isn't here in the text, but I imagine, I have a great imagination, right? I imagine this, this story playing out a little more robustly. And I wonder how many people in this man's life said, well, hey, hold on a second. You're, you're going to do what? You're going to, okay, you're going to do that and that, and you're going to go buy that field over there. You, you, you're the one with no natural resources and no curb appeal at all. Yep, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to go do it with joy. And he would gladly say, when you've seen what I've seen, you can't help it. I just got the best deal in the whole world. The Greek translation of those two words, right? His joy. A lot of times in our Bibles, they smooth them over for our English readability. And they literally could be translated for the joy of it. For the joy of it, he goes and he takes this action. And so the kingdom of Jesus the kingdom, the kingship of Jesus in our life, having Jesus as your king is like a treasure. And when you see it, you can't not go and give it all up with the greatest of all joys just to have a taste of it. And we're running, running to the table to sign the papers, to make the trade. It's a really good trade. No, it's the best trade. And I'm gonna do it with joy. 
And so why are those two words, his joy, so important to how we follow Jesus and live in obedience to him with Jesus as king in our lives? Well, it's my contention for you today that this idea of joy in the trade, joy in the trade is not only what brings someone to the kingdom for the first time initially, right, through salvation and becoming a part of the kingdom, but it's also what propels you and I towards continual glad submission to Jesus as our king. You see, joy in the trade, joy in all the little trade-offs of life, all the little things that Jesus is asking of us is the fuel for living life as a follower and disciple of Jesus Christ. And so this parable wants to put a stake in the ground and nail it down, right, and compel us that it is not a drag to follow Jesus Christ. And it is not a sacrifice. As Matt would say, it's always a trade up with Jesus. Instead, following Jesus, making him as our king, doing whatever it is that he asks us to do is something that's supposed to be welcomed with the greatest of all joys and not begrudging submission. Joachim Jeremiah, he was a German theologian back in the early 1900s. He wrote a book on the parables, and when he came to this one, and it came to this idea of joy, this is how he, he wrote it. When that great joy, surpassing all measure, seizes a man, seizes a man, it carries him away, it penetrates his inmost being, it subjugates his mind, and all else seems valueless compared with that surpassing worth. No price is too great to pay. And so joy in the trade. I would also contend for you today that there may be no greater apologetic to our cynical and pessimistic world than disciples of Jesus living lives of genuine joy. And not that shallow, smiley happiness stuff, but real joy, even in the midst of hardship, where we, our lives are marked with choice after choice, slowly but surely, month after month, year after year, of disciples of Jesus trading in the things of such little value for things of much, much greater value. We are those people. Lord willing, we will be those people who see treasure in a field and we will go and do whatever it takes to not miss out on the kingdom and the kingship of Jesus in our life. You see, joy in the trade, joy in all those little trade-offs that Jesus is asking of us is the fuel for the Christian life. But today I'd also contend with you that there are two, two barriers Two barriers that we have in our lives that keep us from this kind of joy. Two things, two reasons we could probably infer from this parable that keep us from making this kind of trade-off in our life with joy. And the first one of those is real simple. We don't see it as treasure. We don't see the kingdom of God as treasure. We're blinded to true values, and we don't admit that what Jesus is offering us would lead to our ultimate joy. And so because of our brokenness and our bents and our human natures, we're constantly putting more value in places God puts no value and vice versa. And we won't or we don't or we can't often see that God's ways are leading us to more abundant and joyful life. And C.S. Lewis, he put it uh, the best way I know how in one of his more famous quotes when he says, we're half-hearted creatures, right? Fooling around with things of such little value like drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is being offered to us. We're like ignorant children who want to go on making mud pies in a slum because we can't even imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea. We're far too easily pleased. And we are those children. We think mud pies are awesome. 
and throughout our lives, you and I, we are constantly fooling ourselves into thinking our mud pies are awesome and we're holding on to things so tightly that give us no joy when Jesus Christ is offering us more joy on the other side of obedience to him. You see, every treasure of the kingdom, every treasure of following Jesus Christ and living a life devoted to him is found on the other side of something less, far less valuable that we are still fooling ourselves into thinking is more valuable than it really is. And we're fooling ourselves and we're holding on to things of little value. There's a great biblical example of this, right? Uh, Many of you may be familiar with the story, but we don't know this man's name. We only know him as rich, young ruler. And this man comes to Jesus. If you're not familiar with the story, he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what am I going to need to do to follow you? And Jesus knows this man's heart. He knows the barriers in his life that are going to prevent him from following Jesus. And Jesus specializes his response in a way that he doesn't really do with other people. And he says, for you, rich, young ruler, it's going to cost you this to follow me. It's going to cost you this. And the last sentence in the Bible about this man, it says this. He walked away sad. He walked away sad. And don't don't miss the, the contrast here between these two men, right? One man sees the treasure, sees the value of his treasure, and he is so compelled by joy to go and have and do whatever it takes to have that treasure. And there's another man who's confronted with that same opportunity, and he can't make the trade, and he walks away sad. He couldn't do it. He couldn't see the value of what was being offered to him by following Jesus Christ. He had his hands gripped so tightly around things of such little value, whether that be money, prestige, power, whatever it was in this man's life, and he couldn't see the true value of what Jesus was offering him that day. But I'm just like the rich young ruler. And one of the parts of, one of the things about me is I'm a planner. I don't know about you, I'm a planner, but in every, every, every year from the time I was 13 or 14 years old, I had a plan for my life. Call them a five-year plan. The other part of my story is that every one of those has crashed and burned and none of it ever worked out the way I thought it was going to work out. Ever. And the last time this happened to me that I remember, it was 2011, 2012, and I am in one of those dark dark weeks and I'm wallowing in self-pity and I'm frustrated at God and I am anxious and scared because I don't know what's happening in my plans. I've, I've, got my, I've got my hands so tied around it. And the Lord in his grace, I, I think, spoke to me in a really clear way and said, Robert, 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 when has one of your measly five-year plans ever been better than what I've given you on the other side? When? Robert, you're, you're, you're that three-year-old in Target throwing a fit in line over the matchbook car, and it's three days before your birthday, and your father already has the biggest and baddest and best Tonka truck in the attic, wrapped up, ready to go. But my hands were gripped. My desires, the things I wanted, I couldn't see the value in what Jesus was going to be offering me in the near future. And so that first barrier, the first barrier for you having this kind of joy in the trade, this joy in your life, is that you don't actually see it as treasure, right? We don't see that the things we're gripping on to so tightly are just mud pies. And if only we would open our hands. And if only our value systems could begin to change over time, slowly but surely, so that we valued the right things, valued the things that God values. Jesus would say in this parable, if he did a one-sentence parable, it would be, Don't hold on to $10,000 when one billion is being offered to you. Don't do that. That's a bad deal. So not only is there the barrier of not seeing Jesus as the treasure, his kingship as being treasure, there's also another barrier in our lives that we can infer from this parable. And I'll illustrate it like this, right? We see the house for sale. Looks like a nice house. 
I'd like to buy that. But we get closer to the sign or we look it up on the MLS and the price is everything. Now, some of you who have just bought a house in Austin last year or two, that might be too close to the truth. Real estate prices are real high right now, okay? So sorry for that, that trigger. I should have warned you about that trigger, right? Um, but we don't like the price. The, one, the second barrier is that we don't like the price because the price is everything. It cost me that, Lord. It's gonna cost me that. And there's this thing, and it's true of all of us, whether we've been following Jesus for five minutes or 50 years, and we're still holding on to it. And it's that thing that we won't let go of, and we won't let Jesus have, be king in that part of our life. And Jesus implies in this parable, I think what he's trying to tell us, what he's, what he's wanting us to see is there's no halfway when this kind of treasure's on the table. When you get this kind of deal, right, there's no halfway. The merchant does not get to keep the lesser pearls to get the pearl of great price. He has to let, his, he has to let go of those things. And that's, and that's what we want, right? We want the treasure and we want the lesser things. And sometimes in God's good grace, he gives us both of those. And oftentimes, at some point in your life, he begins, the life and the Lord begin to pry our hands off of those things and say, I'm gonna need that. I'm gonna need that. And so we won't pay the price. or We'll put up a big stop sign and say, I just don't know that I can go that far, God. Yes, it costs a lot. Yes, it costs a lot to follow Jesus. And yes, it's worth infinitely more and more than you can possibly imagine. And so look at the treasure that's being offered to you and sign the papers and do it with joy. So two barriers, two potential barriers from this parable in your life for not having the kind of joy in the trade-offs that you need to fuel your Christian life, right? One, we don't see it as treasure. We're blinded and we're still holding on to things of such little value when something way better is being offered to us. Or two, we don't like the price because the price is everything and the price is gonna cost us that part of ourselves that we're not willing to let go of and let King Jesus in there. And so what should we do today? In light of this truth, in light of the parable that's presented to us where a man sees treasure, he sees it and he goes in his joy and sells all that he can to have that piece of treasure. So what should we do? I think there's two possibilities for you and I in this room today. One is for a group of us who um, maybe for the first time, maybe you've never done that thing where you've gone all in with Jesus for the first time. You never have seen Jesus as the greatest of all treasures, and you're still holding on to this impression of God that he's this cosmic killjoy, keeping you from the freedom and joy that's rightfully yours. Friends, don't believe that. Don't believe that. Go all in alongside those of us who have trusted and followed Jesus and see Jesus Christ or see the Father as the good, good Father who wants nothing for the best of us, and joy is on the other side of trading that in. And the trade you need to make is the greatest trade that's ever existed in the whole world, right? His life for my life. My sin, his righteousness. The wages of my sin, death, for the good gift and grace of Jesus Christ in eternal life. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it real simple, right? God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For some of you, would you believe that to be true today and go all in? Would you put your faith, maybe for the first time, in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Those of us who have seen the treasure would plead with you to come. It's the best deal in the whole world. You won't be disappointed by following Jesus. 
So many of us have given up so much to follow Jesus, and, and we do it all again, only this time we do it faster. And so sign the papers. There's joy on the other side. There's an eternity of more than you can possibly imagine, an eternity that starts right now with Jesus as king. And if that's you, and, you don't know, and I want you to find someone today that knows and loves and follows Jesus, and I want you to talk to them, and that's not you, and you, you, or if it's you and you don't know anybody that knows, follows, and loves Jesus, you can mark off in your bulletin right now, put a little X on that little tear off and say, I need to talk to somebody about the greatest treasure that's ever existed, Jesus Christ and his saving work in this world. Now, for a lot of other, others of us, We've already signed those papers to make Jesus as boss, king, Lord. We're in the family, right? And we're trying to live and follow him in this world in a way that honors him. And the application for us today is, I think, a simple one, uh, but not very easy, right? Simple but hard. That's how Jesus does it, right? And that's to go sell something. Now, I don't mean actually go sell something unless that's what the Lord's telling you to do. But what I mean by that is let go of something less valuable for the more valuable, let go of something of little value for more value. Some of us, we have something we are attributing way more value to than we should, and it's standing in our way of our, in our ability to have the real kingdom and treasure in our life. And some of those things are easy to spot, right? They're that, that addiction or that sin issue that's been plaguing you, and you keep justifying it for the next week, month, year, decade. Some of those hindrances are harder to spot, right? They're heart issues that are buried deep, deep down in there, or they're good things that have become too important things, and we're holding on to them so tightly that when the Lord or life begins to mess with those, we say, that's too far, God. That's too far. So what is it? What is it that we're still holding on to in our life? It's that thing maybe right now that the Lord, through his Holy Spirit, is pricking your heart right now and saying, this, this is standing in your way of obedience to me and the fullness of God's kingdom in your life. And holding on to that has you, hold, has you missing out on a treasure of infinite worth. And it can look a lot of different ways, right? It can look like this. It can look like us holding on to our pride or our desire to be right and to be vindicated rather than taking the first step and going and being reconciled with somebody we need to be reconciled with. Friends, being right is not better than being reconciled and being obedient to King Jesus. And so next time you have that chance, sign the papers. Make the trade for the joy of it. Or we can hold on to our fear of future or our lack of trust in God with our material things. And the Lord puts somebody or something in our path and we have an opportunity to be generous and we close our hand and we don't do it. Friends, Having way more than we need is not better than being generous when the Lord puts something in your way to be generous. And so next time that happens, you make the trade, you sign the papers, and you do it with joy. Or you're holding on to your pride of being seen as the one to put, that's put together, and you need to go make a step towards either going and seeing a counselor, showing up at Thursday night on CR, or just going to lunch with a trusted friend and saying, this is where I'm weak, this is where I'm stuck, I need help, can you help me? Grace, grace, your self-image is not better than a life marked with authenticity, humility, and confession. And so next time you have that chance, next time that deal's presented to you, sign the papers, make the trade with joy. Or you're holding on to your fear of failure, your feelings of inadequacy, and you've yet to make that leap into using some of your God-given time to serve the Lord or his church or others around you. Friends, there's no greater joy to be had on earth 
than being used by God in the midst of your inadequacies. And he actually likes it that way because he gets more of the credit. And so next time you have a chance, next time King Jesus puts a deal on the table, sign the papers, make the trade with joy. You're holding on to that addiction because it either feels good or it's how I cope with my hard life. And I know, I know it's hard. Believe me, God's power and grace through his Holy Spirit can lead you to more freedom and joy than you could possibly ever imagine. And so would you sign the papers, make that trade. The kingdom is always better than whatever we're holding on to. And this list could go on and on, but could I ask you, if you're gonna do anything this week, could I ask you to do this? Could I ask you to find a quiet moment this week with the Lord? It might be on the way home. It might be after the kids go to bed tonight. It might be on your commute tomorrow and you turn down the radio. But would you, would you find a quiet moment and ask Jesus this question? Ask God this question. Where am I holding on to something? Where am I giving something more value than the value of obedience to Jesus as king and the kingdom of heaven in my life? Where am I holding on to something of such little value? And then run to the table. Listen to him. And when he says it, listen and run to the table and sign the papers with joy. Whatever it is, give it up. It's a better, it's a better deal with King Jesus. There is so, so much joy to be found where Jesus is king. He is the good king. His, his rule and reign is loving and his commands are benevolent and generous towards us. And it's going to look foolish to an outside world when you start doing, when you start making Jesus king in your life. And it's not gonna make sense, but there's a field out there with treasure in it. And that treasure is Jesus Christ. And he has promised me that on the other side of obedience to him is his loving rule and reign in my life. And I gotta get me some more of that. I gotta have that. How fast can I get to the table? Where do I sign? I've got a loving king and the best deal of all time waiting for me. And so I'm gonna go sign those papers and I'm gonna do it with all the joy in the world. And so see, see the treasure. See the treasure that Jesus is offering you, this kingship. See the treasure you may be leaving on the table every day by not obeying what Jesus has put in front of you today to obey. And would you do it with joy? Would you believe that he is the good, good father who does want the best for you and that his kingship is leading you to more and more joy? And so today I'm preaching this message to myself as much as I am to you and pleading with you pleading with you and I to sign the papers. Maybe it's for the first time. Maybe it's for the next time. But give God that peace you've been holding on to. Let God's kingdom rule and reign in your life. Give him that peace you've been holding on to. Jesus' promise is this. The kingdom of heaven, where Jesus is king, is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man finds it, he goes and he sells and he does whatever it takes to have that kingdom. And he's going to do it with joy because it's the deal of all deals, the trade of all trades, and no one in the world is getting a better deal than that man in that moment. And so let Jesus be king. There's more joy to be found there. Would you pray with me? Gracious Father, we are grateful today for your word which instructs us. And God, we don't want to leave this room without hearing from your Holy Spirit what it is that, you need to hear, that we need to hear today, God. In our lives, Father, we confess 
are full of opportunities almost every day to give up things of such little value for a greater value to be found in your kingdom. And God, would you use your powerful Holy Spirit to show us right now, help us to see, maybe for the first time, maybe for the next time, what it is that we need to trade in. Not only, God, because it's a better deal, but because it's going to lead us to more and more joy in the kingship of Jesus. And so we come boldly and humbly to your throne, God, as king. And we ask these things because of your son, Jesus Christ, and his love and sacrifice for us. And it's in his powerful and gracious name that we pray today. Amen.